0: So we are going to enter into a time of silence. So I just invite you to take a moment and just calm yourself. And I will be asking some questions for you to reflect on as we go through this time of silence. And then we'll end in a a time of scripture. So, as we engage in this time of silence, I invite you all to just reflect on your own stories. What are things that you've seen God do for you in 2023? In what ways did God feel present to you over the last year? In what ways was God, did God feel absent from you? over the last year. are the ways that you hope and you need God to be present in the now and in this new year? Spirit. Today's reading is from Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus
1: Thank you, Michael. Got to do a little stage setup. I mean, it's not a lot. Um, in a moment, I'll share a little bit from that scripture that Michael just read, um, and uh, that's as a way of setting up some stories. We're going to have some people we've selected tell stories about their life over the past year, not, not the past part of this year, which is pretty brief, but last year. Um, but first, um, I want to take a moment, and I know we just did some silence, but we're going to pray some more. And uh, just wait on the Holy Spirit until uh, I feel like I'm ready to get started. So, uh, here we go. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. You guys ready? Was that, was that too short? It's okay. All right. Um, so we were talking, you know, we're going through all these transitions right now, and one of the conversations we were having, we want to have the scripture up, um, is, well, what version should we use? Um, what should be the house scripture? Um, and I was like, oh, can we have many different versions? Um, I think a blessing of uh, the scripture being translated so many times Um, over such a long period of time is an incredible wealth that comes from the different ways that that has been done. Ain't nobody reading it, well, very few of us are reading it in any kind of original manuscript. Even the oldest manuscripts that we have are probably not like, you know, I don't think we have like where it was written down for the first time. Um, So we're blessed with different translations. And uh, today we're reading from the ESV, Um, which is uh, a word-for-word style, style, style translation, Um, in general, your Bible translations fall into word-for-word or thought-for-thought. And most of the time, I lean towards a thought-for-thought translation because I use thoughts for thinking. Um, And so... If I can have somebody helping me, what is this really about? They're doing a little bit of the interpretive work for me up front. That can be really useful. You want to make sure that you really trust the translators in this because they are doing some pre-work for you. Now, even in a um, word-for-word style translation, it's not exactly word-for-word. I spend a lot of time, I don't, I, I have theological training, but I don't have any language training. So when I read the Greek... I read a, uh, a version that just shows the Greek words and then their English equivalent. And the reason I'm saying in, uh, the uh, word-for-word translation isn't the same is because Greek is not parsed like English. It wouldn't make any sense. The sentences sound, it's like, he therefore because of loved one who, and so they move words around still in a word-for-word translation. But um, sometimes, ESV particularly is one of my favorite word for words because of the, the beauty of the language that can come out sometimes. And there's one part of this scripture that's different towards the end. That's the reason I chose it today. But uh, let's go through. So, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love um, with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay. Um, I love the part here. It's kludgy in English. The great love with which he loved us. He loved us with his love. I don't know what else he would love us with, but um, in the original, great love. So love here is agape. People that grew up in churchy things learn about agape love. That's the special benevolent God love type of love. Um, Great is an intensifier. So like the fact that it was God's love was not sufficient. The writer wants to say the great love that he loved us with because there's so much love in here. Um, So I love that part of this. Um, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Um, uh, right, so this part can feel real judgy and harsh. Um, this is where with some of these word-for-word translations, you run into some, some difficult language where some of these thought-for-thoughts can be helpful. Dead in our trespasses, what does that mean? Um, trespasses is actually useful here. Sometimes you'll see sin's... Or transgressions, things like that. But what's great about trespasses is the word literally means we wandered off. So we were dead in our wandering off. Well, yeah, sure. If you're out in um, a wilderness area that's dangerous in some way, and you wander off the marked trail, well, that guy's dead. Like you're a goner, right? You've wandered off into oh, you fell off of a cliff. Oh, you're lost in the desert. That's dead in our trespasses, like. We wandered off, and now we're dead. Oh, no. Um, But he made us alive in Christ. Oh, God, who loves us with his great love, uh, rescues us by grace. Um, We've been saved. So um, this grace part is where it's uh, his extending of a gift to us. He wants to to bring us back. All right. Um, And raise this up. Uh, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You've, again, rich language, a lot of poetry. I love, like, he saved us. We wandered off, and he saved us, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna carry you up with me into the heavenly places. Because I just can't leave you down here wandering around. I need to be able to uh, show you the immeasurable riches of my grace and kindness in two or two. So God wants to scoop us up and just pour out his love on us. Um, So for by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So yes. Um, while you were wandering off, fell off the trail and were lost in a canyon somewhere, you did not do the works that merited your saving. You wandered off. That's the whole point. So it isn't something that you did while you, you, were, you, know, while you were wandering, you earned a gold star and God saves you. He loves all of his children who wander off and wants to give us good gifts. Um, and that's how it works. Um, he just super loves us with His his great love and wants to set us back on his path. And so... Why, why does God like do this? What, what's it about? What's the point of all this? Uh, the next section: uh, For we are His workmanship. In some of the other translations, it'll say masterwork, um, which is an extension because it doesn't say that in the original language. But everything God makes is a masterwork. He doesn't make crappy stuff. So we are His workmanship, created. In Christ Jesus, there's a sermon series and what that means that we won't go into today. Got to keep them coming back. Um, I've lost my... Okay. Uh, created for, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And this is the whole reason why I did this translation. That we should walk in them. That we should walk in these good works that God made for us. Good here should not be mistaken for... You guys ever hear, like, you know, Superman does good, you do well? Has anybody ever heard this phrase? Like, the, like, this is about moral good doing versus well doing. I'm not saying that there aren't some good works that are moral goods, but we can misinterpret this in a sort of post-Puritan culture, that this is about doing good. Like, oh, I did the good works, I fed a homeless person, please do this thing. Um, but, like, there's lots of things that are good. It is good to crochet a blanket for yourself or no one. It is good to make art. It is good to enjoy a sunset. Good here just means intrinsically worthwhile. Good here means wholesome, rich, good. It's still a work. It's the same kind of work as workmanship. It's a thing to do. But, but God has prepared for us good stuff to do that we can walk in the doing of it. We can explore. He takes us from whatever lost cave we've wandered into and brings us with him to a place where we can walk in the good stuff that he has prepared for us. I'm excited about this. Um, And today we have uh, three folks uh, who are, are here to share some of their story. Um, from 2023 was the idea, although they may draw on things from further than that. Um, I think I've talked to them a little bit about their stories. You might hear in the telling some of the, some of wandering off, maybe, maybe some being scooped up and given to good works, and maybe a lot of not being sure what the difference is in practicality, what those things really look like. Am I walking in the good stuff? Am I not? Um... But I want to invite all of us together, as we hear these stories today, to see God's workmanship. That God, who makes wonderful things, has made these folks, and that they are sharing a story that has a great beauty in it. And I think that you'll see them as God sees them, as the Spirit interacts with you and with them. And um, so we're going to welcome our first storyteller up here in a moment. Normally at church we don't like like do applause for folks, but I want to encourage our storytellers today. So our first storyteller today is Constance. Will you please welcome her with a round of applause?
2: Hi. Um My name's Constance Abelichukwu Okonkwo. I'm here to basically tell you my recent testimony. Um, So I'm going to be talking about my walk with God this past year. For most of my life, I've been a lot of a romantic. I would always watch these things called ship edits, which would have these little (laughs) cute couples and they would show their best clips in like a TV show or a book. I would always gush about Um, I would always gush about how they're so cute and they're such a power couple. And I would love the idea that this would hopefully be me. Now I would consider myself quite the romantic still, but just more concealed. Since my friends and I have gotten older, romantic pursuits and approachings got more and more common. I always felt like the odd one out. I was never the person who got asked out or felt like I was liked by boys. This led to a lot of self-doubt in myself. I wasn't sure why this was, and this really bothered me because I like to solve problems. So, was I not smart enough? Was I not pretty enough? Was this about my race? Et cetera, et cetera. These questions never felt answered, and I would talk to friends, families, mentors about it all the time. Honestly, anyone who would ever listen. I I feel like God didn't have my back at all. I would pray for God to bring me someone, and especially for my first kiss. But... (laughs) Um, Later, around early June, I went to Young Life Camp, which is a Christian camp, with all my friends. At first, camp didn't really feel like God was with me, but thankfully, he returned back with me home. During camp, I talked so much to my mentor about this feeling of inadequacy and with what I bring to the table. I felt like I was cool, but why did no one else think so? I wanted peace on the subject because it felt dumb to think about all the time. And miraculously, during those days, without a phone, without hearing about people talk about relationships, and with a lot of praying from me and others, I realized that trying to let things go my way won't, simply won't work out. In my favor, at least. And I heard this analogy comparing your plans versus God's plans to uncooked food, like raw potato or raw chicken. Raw potato and raw chicken sucks. So, however... God's plans are like a fully cooked meal, prepared perfectly to be enjoyed. Obviously, it might take long, but they will be perfectly enjoyed. That day, I realized with whatever, come, whatever will come, will come, and whatever will go, will go. This made me realize that things only click to you if you're listening and willing to let things come together. That was the day I knew the Holy Spirit was with me, and where Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and pray to me and I will listen to you. This verse truly clicked. I always tried to understand it, but it never really clicked for me until this day. There was no doubt in my mind that God had this plan for me. Obviously, there are ups and downs in this journey. I recently dated someone who didn't treat me right and I made mistakes. But I know that within that struggle, I learned a lot about the type of person I am and what I want for myself the next time God wants that for me. I especially knew that once Carl asked me to do this, that God was speaking to me on his plan for prosperity. After a long journey of acceptance and trust, I came to the conclusion, I hope peace comes to everyone who has some type of spiritual warfare. Peace is possible. Thank you for listening.
1: Keep it going for Constance. Thank you. I love how the story there draws out that the, the journey with God, the simple metaphor of getting lost and getting found is something that maybe happens in the heart every day over and over uh, and is an ongoing process. Thank you so much. Um, will you welcome our next storyteller, up, June.
3: Is that good? Okay, yeah, that's good for me. Is this on? Good, okay, I hear myself, myself now, okay. I'm June Reynolds, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm going to talk about grieving today. Um, I might not look at you if I see any any tears. I'll I'll look away. <laughs> I don't want to go into that. And I'm also going to talk about um, my whole past, from the very beginning of my life up until today. Okay. My memory of the first 10 years of my life as the youngest in a family of six was full of times when our family seemed like any other family in the 50s. My dad worked, my mom stayed home, and things seemed pretty normal. We played, we went to school, we were in scouts, in school musicals, we went to church, to Jones Beach in the summers, and we had two dogs but my mom was mentally ill and had to be hospitalized three to four times in a period of ten years. It could have been more than that. Um, Mom's hospitalizations each time were anywhere from maybe ten months to almost two years. What I most remember about those times was the confusion and sadness missing of my mom, missing my dad and my siblings. When my mom was in the hospital I stayed with an aunt and uncle and cousin while my sisters and brothers stayed with other families. When mom was better, we'd come home to a different house, sometimes in a new state. The first formations in my life were the tearing apart and the crudely stitching back together as best we could, my traumatized family, over and over. Then my mom died when I was 10. So processing death with my family in the 50s 50s was a matter of moving to a new home, this time in Ohio, and then getting on with life. We went back to school, took music lessons, joined scouts, went to church, and didn't ask questions or talk about what had happened. And I don't remember anyone crying. And yet I still miss my mom, and I would look, at, look for her in the grocery store, <laughs> hoping that someone had made a mistake. Okay, we're going to fast forward to the 2023. I'm very sorry. There was a lot of things that happened in there. <laughs> you don't want to hear them today. <laughs> um, but I did become a Christian when I was 18 years old and in college. And I've been holding fast to Jesus um, and growing in my love for him for more than 50 years. So five or six, year, five or six months ago in 2023... Um, I started the practice of silence and solitude. This is what Jesus was doing when he went away to be alone with God and to pray. It was also an ancient practice of the early desert fathers. Jared Boyd describes the practice in this way in his book Finding Freedom in Constraint. Awareness, attention, love, rest. This is Jared These are all words for the basic idea of presence. What we really want in the practice of solitude and silence is the presence of God. Silence and solitude is simply the practice of being alone with God and not needing to say anything. We come wanting to be filled up and nurtured. We want an experience of God. We want to pray. We want to speak with God and have God speak back to us. But what we often get when we finally carve out a space for this to be done is to have a quiet, have have little quiet, um, instead noise. It's that inner noise of unmet expectations and failed dreams and little whispers that remind us how disapproving and disappointing we are to others or how disappointed we are in ourselves The moments of silence are often filled with nagging questions and the natural overflow of an active mind. Certainly I found that to be true when I started this practice too. Um, but, but, um, there we go. Lost my place. So I've been spending time nearly every day for the past five or six months practicing silence and solitude. Over time, in the silence, there have been small, quiet spaces where I receive God's love and nurturing. I've had the feeling of being gathered up as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and we all know how that looks, you know, she kind of fluffs up and she pulls these chicks under there and they settle in. Um of being held by God as if I were a nursing infant. I marvel at God's sweet goodness and healing present during these times. Then one day, I picked up an object, and I'll tell you what this is. It was my clarinet that I played for more than 50 years. And I don't know why, but this object that I was holding in my hands, that I had held daily for more than 50 years, I started weeping. For some reason, this object, my clarinet, that I dearly love, um, triggered some deep sadness. Sadness when I, uh, some deep sadness within me. Even when I would see the case of my clarinet, I would start to weep. Um, and also. I found this odd, but sometimes I would weep in the silent times with with the father. That sweetness, somehow, of of being present with him and being held by him, sometimes, somehow, turned into something else. But over time, I've realized that I have started this final important step in grieving my mother, which is anger. I know that there will be anger at God and my mom and I also know that I'm in good company. I think of Martha and how she went out to tell Jesus when Lazarus was, had, was dying and was sick and how Jesus didn't even come back quickly and, and Lazarus died and they put him in the grave for four days. Um, I kind of bond with her in some ways I guess. A friend who I have talked to recently about this particular time in the life, in my life, told me that anger in God is the purest form of prayer.
1: Thank you so much. I don't think I can offer any words that would make that any better. Thank you. that was beautiful. Um, will you please welcome Katie Ray.
4: I need help with mics, I'm shorter than June. That's great, can you guys hear me? I wrote this because I'm a crier, so just be warned. If you're uncomfortable with tears, this is not a good morning for you to be here. And this is in like 48 points, so I can read it through the tears. So good morning, everyone. I'd like to share a few things that Jesus did and said to me during the desolation of 2023. But first, before I get started, uh, from singer-songwriter Strahan, there's a beauty in our pain. Every night is a breaking day. We are colored jars of clay, so carry on, carry on. A little context for you. I moved to Columbus, Ohio from Evanston, Illinois at the end of October, 2022. I intentionally landed in a more urban place than I would have chosen in order to build relationships with folks at the Abbey and to explore what I thought were some of the reasons that God invited me to sell my home and leave my spiritual community of 23 years. In the midst of much desolation, God provided countless moments and days of consolation, comfort, and connection from unexpected places and people for which I am incredibly grateful. And some of you are here today. The following stories are highlights from Emmanuel Prayer Sessions. Emmanuel Prayer is a regular spiritual practice, which I do with a friend, where we establish an interactive connection with the living presence of Jesus, kind of like what June was talking about. And then we have an interactive conversation. You're welcome to ask me anything afterwards about this practice. Here are a few of those moments. This is sort of a highlights reel. In the first months when I experienced culture shock, homesickness, and sensory overload from city living, Jesus kindly said, I know you, I'm with you. I know it's hard, the neighbor upstairs is screeching trains, are driving you crazy. I will help your brain adjust, I promise. Over and over he said to me, I'm here, I'm right here. He knew how discombobulated I felt and that my nervous system was jacked up. He gently showed me that this is part of his formation in me, that he wants me to know how uncomfortable city life can be. He said the noise and aggravation of the city is the equivalent of being lost in the woods. You're not used to this. You're not a city dweller. And you didn't imagine any of this. You're experiencing probably the closest thing to what your missionary clients experience when they go abroad. And then he lovingly encouraged me to spend some more time volunteering in the soil at Franklinton Farms. A little context for you, I'm a counselor, uh, and I do work with missionaries and expats abroad. During some overwhelmingly difficult clinical work with clients in 2023, I experienced Jesus as a steady, unmovable grounding presence. He was not flustered or afraid. He was not surprised. Over and over again, he said, Katie, I'm right here. I'm right here. Bringing heaviness from the work he knelt and squatted right in front of me, placing his hand on my head as I wept and saying, I see you. I see your anxiety. And as I handed my fear and my anxiety to him in regards to the well being of my client, he said, I've got her. I've got her. You're getting a taste of the terror she lives with. And then he reminded me of how he's ministered and comforted and reassured her so that I could relax again. Next, reflecting on how to deal with the overwhelm and facing the suffering of facing suffering in the world. How to not drown in it. And still be present to it. Jesus took my face in his hands. He seems to do that a lot with me. And he said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take all that on. I know you take sorrow in, but I don't want you to get lost in it. And Jesus coached me to keep bringing the sorrow to him, to ask for help. And then one of my favorite childhood songs came to mind. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I realized that a younger part inside of me, little Katie, gets pretty overwhelmed by the big world, especially having grown up in Mexico City. And I saw my little self (laughs) delightedly running on the sand to and from the waves by the ocean, my little arms and legs just like going everywhere, giggling, totally free, my belly just like sticking out, like I would lead with my belly, free at the water's edge. And Jesus said to me, adult Katie, Katie, you can play. It's not your job to have the whole world in your hands. So I now sing that song, often as a reminder to myself to let Jesus carry all the big stuff. Around grief and generosity, Jesus' constant invitation to me for years has been, be generous, Katie. Very kindly. He's never judgmental in saying that. And a question bubbled up inside this is pretty personal. Should I tithe on the sale of my house? You see there are so many voices uh, having grown up with a, a dad who's a banker and an investor and there are so many voices and judgments around it being silly and foolish and not smart money management and so I waited for his answer. And he brought me to the front yard of my house that I had sold. And we looked at each other. And we looked at the house. And Jesus knowingly said, Tithing is part of saying goodbye. And I began to weep. I really miss my house, Jesus. It's not mine anymore. Jesus agreed and gently reminded me it was never yours. It was a gift from me for a time. Oh, that felt so true. And I realized it wasn't mine, it wasn't the previous owner's nor even the current owners, And more importantly, everything I have is Jesus's. Tithing just made it final, which was actually what I needed. Finally, in November, he ended the year on a really big note, which is not surprising. I needed it. We had a year-end conversation in my dad's old study in the house I grew up in. Jesus and I are there, and my dad is to my right. We've been here before. We've had conversations here. So it was comfortable. And I'm aware of the father behind Jesus to my left. And we were talking about my dad and Jesus so kindly and understanding my dad fully said, he had a good heart, he loved you, he just didn't have the father's capacity, and there is this moment (laughs) of sitting with these words, and the words transformed into, like a lot of this stuff is really difficult to describe. These words transformed into an experiential reality, and I was overwhelmed by the Father's love. Weeping and saying out loud over and over, the Father's heart is so, so big. And as the words left my mouth, I sensed the truth that my dad's love was just so dwarfed and small in comparison with the heart of the father. I saw a glimmer in Jesus's eyes. And he said, oh, you're you're just starting to get it, Katie. The father is nothing like your dad. The scene shifted and my dad was gone. And Jesus and I were in this open spacious place, time slowed, and I sat there feeling totally relaxed and peaceful. My body was heavy with this beautiful feeling. A sense of vast, soft, white spaciousness. And all of a sudden, I realized that the white spaciousness was the Father's robe. I couldn't see his face or a throne, just the robe all around us. And tears are streaming down my face as I'm completely overcome by what's happening. And I heard over and over Jesus say, I and the Father are one. I felt calm and my body was cool. And during the closing prayer, I had an image of a post-bath tub towel wrap-up, like a little kid, you guys remember this feeling? Where a mother or a father... Just wrap you up in a towel, warm, hug, all clean and safe. And Jesus said, this is sort of the father's version of that. Thank you for
1: listening. Thank you so much. We're going to take a little moment of transition now. We're going to bring the the band up, and they're going to play while we prepare our hearts. And those of you who have children, they're waiting right now. Uh, Just past these doors, if you could go and get them, um, that would be great. Um, We'll just take a a moment of transition before getting into the worship proper.